Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Jeff Learman. Thanks for being on the show again, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Jeff was on show WS335, and where we covered many things about this thing, you know, a lot of people call JV and what that is. And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to that show if, if you don't know what that is, you know, just by hearing that. But it's joint venture. And, and we, we really talked about the differences in joint venture versus syndication and why you might use a joint venture versus a syndication and so, or type of structure. So uh, Jeff laid out many things there that are very important. And we're going to cover some of those uh, initially in the show, and then we're going to move on to some other terms and some other things that need to be in that joint venture agreement that are very important for you to know. But a little about Jeff uh, quickly. He has established a nationwide reputation as the real estate investor's lawyer. He helps investors nationwide with their transactions. Clients tell him that what sets him apart from other real estate lawyers is that Jeff is also an investor and he uses his investing experience to provide more practical, creative, and effective solutions. And so I, I think that's a great quality about an attorney that's on your team as well is that they are also an investor. And when you're vetting an attorney or CPA or whoever that teammate may be, that's something I'm going to ask, like, well, do you invest in real estate? What's your experience? And and I think that's an important piece that, that Jeff brings to the table here. And uh, But Jeff, thank you again again. And I'm looking forward to getting into this topic and, and some of these terms and this agreement that we need to be thinking about. But before we do that, let's recap just a little bit. And like, why is this important uh, for investors to know just about, uh, you know, JVing? Why, why is this so important? So the, and again, of course, we're going to capsulize this and not go through everything all over again. This is just to tee it up. So it all is under the umbrella of doing deals with other people's money. And what I explained in the last, the last time we we're together is, although we help investors with syndication, what I always explain to them is that why I believe that joint ventures is the cheapest, easiest, fastest, and safest way to do deals with other people's money. And the reason is because what a joint venture means is that like, if you and I want to do a deal together, and if both of us are actively engaged in the management of that deal, and if we're both equally sophisticated in terms of real estate, generally speaking, and if neither one of us is relying on the efforts of the other to make a profit, it really is a collaborative thing. It's, to break it down, it just it's as simple as, hey, if you and I are buddies and we're driving down the street, say, hey, that looks like an interesting building. You guys want to buy it? And we buy it together and say, sure, let's do that. And you put together an agreement and it is something, again, that we're both going to be involved with. That's not a security because neither one of us is a passive investor. Both of us are going to be active. That's the difference between a joint venture and a syndication. And in general, a joint venture costs a fraction of the legal fees that a syndication would require. And it is a simpler set of documents, and it is, in my opinion, the faster way to do deals because it's having a conversation with 
and an ongoing relationship with one or two or three joint venture partners instead of uh, multiple investors that you would have in the syndication. So that was why I thought that this was an alternative to syndication that your listeners need to know about, need to understand, and at least consider it the next time they need a deal. And actually, don't wait until you actually have a deal under contract before you start trying to find a joint venture partner. It should be something that investors have always in the back of their mind. And when you run into somebody at a networking event or somebody who you think you know, might be a good candidate because they have enough wealth to actually help take down, provide all the money you need, or at least a good chunk of it, start setting up that relationship then so you have that database of potential joint venture partners ready to go. And all you got to do is pick up the phone. So that that's the, uh, I think, the essence of what we covered in the in the last interview. Yeah, and I, I think you hit a couple important points there that are, are worth saying again. Just like you're not relying on the other partner to make the profit, you know, or and and that you're both active. So obviously, in syndication, we have limited partners who are completely passive, and they are. They're depending on the general partnership to turn this property over, wh- whatever it is, to uh, you know go through the business plan and make the return. But they they don't play in any kind of active role, and so that's why we have to syndicate. That's why we're syndicating. But this is such an important topic, so because it may not always be necessary, and that's why I'm, you know I want the listeners to know about this as well. And it's such an important topic. But you know, going into thinking about joint ventures and and you know what type of documents do these partners you know what are we going to use as far as you know partners and 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 to set up this agreement I want to answer that but I also want to add one more thing to that last point which is your primary need does not have to be that you need money for your deal in order for a joint venture to make sense as a matter of fact and there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that was talking about how family offices family offices being defined at least in the journal as a multi-generation, high, ultra-high net worth family that invests in real estate. And the article was saying how the growing trend for family offices is to be doing more joint ventures, not because they need the money. The money isn't the reason. They do it to diversify their risk, to partner with somebody who might be a good strategic partner for reasons beyond money, for if they want to find some a partner who's got expertise that they don't have, whatever. So for those listeners who are saying, well, gee, I don't really need the money. Even if you've got all the money you need, there are a lot of family offices or just you know wealthy individuals who joint venture for other reasons, which make a lot of sense. So anybody who's listening to this, you can use a joint venture to solve a lot of problems and get a lot of benefits other than just if you need money. So having said that, to go back to your question, what kind of documents? So let's contrast it, stay with the contrast for a second between syndication. And I wanted to say too, that document you're talking about, it'd be great if you would share that in the group. I'd love to read that. And I'm sure others that are listening would like to as well in the Facebook group. You mean you mean the actual document that, that we use? Oh, no, the, the Forbes. Was it a Forbes? Oh, the article. Uh, the, the, article oh, yeah, the Wall Street Journal yeah, article. article. Yeah, I'll, um, yeah, I'll Wall email Street it Journal. to you after, right after this, okay? Yeah, that would be great. And we'll put it in the group because I'm sure the listeners would like to listen to that in the in the Real Estate Syndication Show Facebook group. So, yeah, so go ahead with the, the documents that those JV partners uh, need to be thinking about. 
so generally and typically, and if you were doing a syndication, let's say you were doing a Reg D Rule 506B accredited investor only offering in the syndication, which when I syndicate, that's all I do. Personally, that's the exemption that I use. And I do only accredited investors only. That's my preference. You could do non-accredited too, but my preference. So, but that's the simplest form of syndication. So if you do that, you're going to need a PPM, private placement memorandum, which is going to include subscription agreement and, and all the disclosures and the business description of the business, the real estate, the whatever is involved in the actual deal. You have the investor suitability questionnaire. You've got all of that. And then you've got on top of that, Form D and registration statements, all of that. And th those are just the things, the typical things that you're going to have at a minimum. For a joint venture, all you need is one document. And if you're like most joint ventures in the United States today, that one document is going to be LLC operating agreement, a limited liability company. You do a limited partnership instead if you want to, but then in that case, it's going to be a limited partnership agreement. Those are the two usual ways to do a joint venture. You could also do a tick, a tenancy in common agreement, and that's possible too for you if you want to do it. We could talk about why that is an alternative. And if you're going to do it, a TIC instead, it's going to be a TIC agreement. So, but it's only one document, not all those other documents. You don't have to worry about, you can do a joint venture with a non-accredited investor. You can do a joint venture. You don't have to worry about all of the other things that I just listed before. So that's the document that's going to be either, it's one document, it's going to be one of those documents. A lot easier, a lot simpler. Yeah, that would be very simple or much more simple if this makes sense for the type of deal and, and how you're partnering with somebody. But, uh, but you know, there's got to be terms in this agreement, right? And how do we reach the best terms, you know, with a partner or with a JV partner? How do we discuss those to reach the best terms for everybody? Great question. So at the end of our time here together, I'm going to tell your listeners how they can get a much more detailed answer to that question in writing for free that I prepared. I don't want to spend, I don't, we don't have enough time for me to go through. I, I have a, uh, an ebook called 17 Steps to a Successful Joint Venture. What I thought we should do for purposes of today is let's hit on the four or five, in my opinion, single most important terms or issues for discussion when you are putting together an agreement with your joint venture partners. So let's just focus on those. And Sounds good. So one of the first things that we talk about is what is the best business relationship for us to work together? So let's use you and me as our hypothetical prospective joint venture partnership. And let's say that my main reason for coming to you is because I need money. So yeah, we could do a joint venture or you could be bringing uh, some or all the money and, and whatever. But if all you're doing is bringing the money, we could also have a lender-borrower relationship. We can cut a deal where we just do a private money loan, and that's how we can get the benefit of our relationship. You can get what you want, which is a return on your investment, not as much as if we were partners, theoretically, but that's one way we could work together. The other possibility is to put it together where it's an active investor versus a, and a passive investor if you really want nothing to do with it, in which case it would end up being a syndication. But it's a conversation that should take place at the front end 
to make sure that both parties are comfortable that doing a joint venture, which is going to be different than the other two options, is something that that really makes sense for both parties. That's the um, that first thing you guys, the people should be talking about. The next term, and if you have questions about any of these, jump in because I was just yeah. I was just going to go yeah. through and go through these in sequence. Okay. No, it's it's important to to understand our, our relationship in this business that we're embarking. Right. I mean, we're jumping into this thing. I need to know. I need to know uh, what your plan is for this partnership, and and you need to know what mine is as exactly. well, or how we're going to add the best value. So. Then the next question is, what is the best form of ownership for us? Let's assume that we have gotten past that first talking point and we say, yeah, let's, let's do this. We want to we wanna do this, uh, both be actively engaged. So we still have choices to make. One choice, which I'll mention, not because I recommend it, but because in case anybody thinks it's, a, it's, it's an option, general partnership. You could do a general partnership. I can't imagine a scenario where a general partnership would ever make sense. Because in a general partnership, if that's what you and I did, we would both be individually fully responsible for all of the liabilities of the partnership. And there's, not, there's no asset protection there. And it really ma- it makes no sense. I can't remember the last time I did, certainly that I did a general partnership. And every general partnership I've seen in the last, I don't know, two decades has been limited partnership. So... It would be a limited partnership or a limited liability company. Limited partnership or limited liability company. Limited partnership in a joint venture doesn't really make much sense because there'd have to be a general partner and limited partners. It's an option, but again, it's difficult for me to imagine a scenario where that made the most sense. So that leaves two other options, an LLC or a TIC. Limited liability company is the most common, most popular way for joint venture partners to do a deal together. And a TIC is, again, a tenancy in common. The main reason partners end up doing a TIC, and I've done this, I'm doing this with deals I'm involved with now, and I've done this in the past, is when you, you should have a conversation at the beginning saying, okay, when we exit this and we sell, do we want to have the flexibility to be able to do a 1031 exchange and go our separate ways or stay together. No matter how strong the partnership is on day one, it's not a bad idea to do a TIC so you do have that that ability to go your separate ways, not because there's a problem in the relationship, but for whatever reason, you may have reasons that you want to take the money now or you you might not like the next deal that I find or vice versa. So if you want maximum flexibility, in a joint venture, a TIC is the way to go. In which case, again, you'll end up doing a TIC agreement instead of an LLC. So that's an important conversation to have upfront. And if you don't have that conversation upfront, you can still start with an LLC and do a TIC later, but it is a hassle to have to change it later. And if you are going to change it later, generally, you have to change it at least one year before you sell, otherwise you cannot do a 1031 exchange. So it's good to be proactive and forward thinking, and this is the time to have that conversation up front. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I know I've learned the hard way that like every partnership is going to end. 
you know, whether that is a year from now, five years from now, or whether it's, you know, at death, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to end. And before this partnership is, or before the LLC, I guess, is completed, you need to decide what happens. Right when you exit, how you're going to exit, right? But another question I had for you there, as far as, you know, this this LLC, do you recommend, say, you know, my LLC and your LLC have ownership in this new partnership that we're having or or does it matter? Should it just be me and, me and you personally own this entity or should we have our own personal entities that own this entity that we're forming together? You can together? do it either way. It's, it, it really boils down to asset protection. And I was just, that was my next point uh, that, if you are considering a TIC, you still have the asset protection issue. And so you can do it one of two ways. Well, I'll tell you the way that I would do it. So I would do it where you set up your own LLC and I set up my own LLC and they'll both be single member LLCs. And then together, and then we form a, uh, another LLC where those two LLCs can both, although actually if you're doing it to, if you want to do for a, a true 1031 exchange, you really have to just keep them separate. So it'll be your LLC and my LLC, and then we'll have a TIC agreement where our two LLCs are parties to that. So that's the way to do it. If your main objective is to keep that flexibility to go your separate ways in a 1031 at the end. Okay. So if we were going to do a 1031, we could have our own entities, but then we need to, those entities are going to do a, a TIC. Uh, so that way we can, we can do a 1031. Right, later. right, right. And so, but you do need to have an entity in order for you to have asset protection. So you don't want to go into a TIC in your individual capacity. Okay. Okay. So the next question is who will be doing what in the deal? One of the biggest, I, I, I do transactions as well as litigation. And one of the biggest disputes, so we do it, we, we handle partner disputes and we've handled our fair share. And partner disputes, everybody wants to avoid disputes in general, but you especially want to avoid partner disputes just because when it comes to real estate, they tend to be more complicated and expensive to resolve just by the very nature of the fact that it's a venture involving real estate, and if we're talking commercial real estate, the dollars involved are high. And so the litigation costs tend to be high. So what you want to do is you want to manage the partner's expectations from each other. That is one of the biggest causes of disputes is I thought you were going to be doing this full time. I didn't realize that you got 50 other things to do and all you were actually going to be doing is just putting in money and you're only going to help me out with this one part, but I'm doing everything else. So in general, whatever the specific facts are, a big reason for the dispute is the partners were surprised that the other side didn't do what they expected them to do. And so that's a really important to have that conversation and that connection. Details and specifics are critical. So break it down. What's every part of this? Who's going to get the loan? Who's going to be getting uh, the, the property management company? Who's going to manage the manager? Who's going to whatever? Whatever it happens to be. If it's a development deal, you break it down even more. So who's going to be doing what in the deal? If services are involved, you've got to quantify both in time and or money what is expected whenever possible. And if professional services are involved, you got to be clear as to whether additional money is going to be paid for those services. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So I'm a lawyer. 
let's say that you are a mortgage broker. So even if I wasn't a lawyer and you weren't a mortgage broker, the deal would most likely need legal services and would most likely need a mortgage broker to get the loan for the deal. So one way or the other, the deal is going to have to pay for those things. The question is, if each of us put decide that we're okay with each of us being the one to handle those particular tasks, we're going to provide our services, yours as a mortgage broker, me as a lawyer. We can't assume that the other side understands that and understands under what terms that's going to be. That's a conversation that has to take place. Are you okay with me being the lawyer? Am I okay with you being the mortgage broker? And if so, how much am I going to charge that you're going to be comfortable with and vice versa? A lot of times, a common error I see is that at the beginning of a deal, the partners in their, because they're trying to be good people and nice people and get it off on a good start, will say, don't worry about it. I'm happy to do it for nothing. I'll, I'll throw in my time for the deal, whatever. And I discourage that because it's difficult sometimes to tell how much time it's actually going to take. And you really might be selling yourself short when you all of a sudden have realized that you've spent tens of thousands of dollars of time on this part of the thing and you're doing it for nothing. So it's a conversation that you should have with yourself, first of all, and then with your partner. There's no right or wrong answer. It's totally up to each of you, but it's got to be clear as to who's doing what and how much, if you're going to be providing services that you would otherwise need for the venture, how's that going to be handled? Are you going to pay? If so, is there going to be a good discount so that the other side feels like they're not being treated completely as a retail customer. Those can be some hard conversations too when we're thinking about, okay, you as an attorney, you're the normal time you would spend, you know, you may charge more than, you know, whatever I would be doing to add value here, like let's say per hour or something like that, right? I mean, if you were billing somebody. Right. So it could be a hard conversation, but I would say it's, it's never going to be easier to have that conversation than it is before you've actually partnered. That's exactly right. And to that point, the other thing that I recommend, what I do whenever I am working with prospective partners, what we do at the very beginning is I say, let's get in a room together in my conference room, or if we can't do it in person, let's do it like you and I are doing. We'll get on a Zoom call and get a video call where everybody can see everybody else. And let me talk you through all these issues. And the issues, again, are issues that we're going to be addressed in the 17 steps to a successful joint venture. And I start off giving them a worksheet to begin with, but then once they give me the answer, I say, okay, let's get together and let's talk through this stuff. Now that you guys have had a chance to think about it, talk about it, whatever. The reason I do that is because I've been doing this for 39 years. And number one, I'm objective and the prospective partners are not. They're excited about the opportunity. They're excited about working together. And that clouds their judgment, or it can cloud their judgment. And so I, as an objective neutral, can see things in the way they're communicating that they may not either see or they may not want to acknowledge. And so as we talk through tough questions like the one that you just mentioned and the others we'll be talking about the rest of the time we have together here, I like to see how they communicate on the tough issues to see if it looks like they're going to be able to communicate well, because this is a business marriage, a joint venture is a business marriage. And the most common way that that business marriage starts to 
unravel or the first sign of a problem is an inability to communicate effectively. I have, on more than one occasion, I have told prospective partners right there during that meeting, and I tell them up front, I say, I want to do this together, and I'm very transparent. I say, this is why I, I think it's important for us to all be talking. And I'm going to tell you if I have concerns, and I do. And I say, look, you guys can do what you want to do, but I'm telling you, because of the way that you guys are not able to discuss this issue in a constructive way, and judging by the way you guys are relating, I think you may want to rethink if this is a good fit for you. So that is, I think, a really important way to start off. Whoever's thinking about doing it, whoever your lawyer is, if you want to work with us, great. If you don't want to work with us, hopefully you can find a lawyer who takes that approach because I think it's important for you. Very important. Yeah, there's some just great points. And I, like I said, I've, I've learned the hard way before, you know, that and these things just seem so relevant to uh, doing this type, any type of deal, really. Even if it's syndication, there's things, you know, you hope that we talk about before we actually go into this partnership. Before we run out of time, Jeff, you know, I'd love to know, uh, you know, some more of the just important terms that the listeners need to make sure that we address in, the, in that agreement sure. uh, when we're doing this joint venture. Okay. Tell me how much more time we have and I'll be able to tailor my comments appropriately. Yeah, yeah, probably about three to four minutes, something like that. Let's go through it quickly then. The next really important point is cash calls if you need more money. Okay. Super important point. I'm never cease to be amazed about how many times I'll see an operating agreement where that issue is not addressed. So you got to talk about it. It's a multi-layered issue. Is it required or not? If it is required, who who decides the procedure, the timing, the consequences? If there's if somebody doesn't come up with their share of the money, and is it going to be a loan or capital contribution? If it's a loan, is the loan to the entity, to the member? What are the terms of that loan? At what point is there a dilution because somebody didn't pay off a loan? So, and at what point should a venture be terminated? I suggest they set a cap on the amount of additional money. At what point? Do you have a doomsday scenario where you reach a certain point where you just say, we're going to sell because it goes beyond what either of us are willing to put in? So that's the uh, other term. Two other quick terms is what are our exit strategies? You talked about before, uh, what, what do you do at the end? So the exit strategies, that refers to a buy-sell agreement where there are certain triggering of what we call triggering events. The typical triggering events are death, disability, withdrawal expulsion or bankruptcy or divorce. So it's important to have a buy-sell provision and discuss it in terms of what happens if the unexpected happens, death, disability, withdrawal, expulsion, or bankruptcy or divorce. So very important to discuss that up front. And finally, litigation. It's important to do a, I do a background search and a litigation search on every prospective joint venture partner I have. A friend of mine wanted to do a deal together, and I told him I'd do this at the meeting. And he said, I asked him if he had been involved in any litigation, and he basically said, uh, just a couple things, nothing major. And I said, great. And then I went back to my office, and I did a litigation search on him, and I found there were 69 lawsuits that he was a party to as a defendant or a plaintiff. And that was, you know, so I, I told him, I said, there's no way I could ever do business with somebody who either gets sued that often or who feels so comfortable going to court to resolve a dispute. So I passed on the deal. And those, at a minimum, are the most important issues that need to be discussed and agreed upon 
in an agreement. That's a great example there as well. Like, would you have had any idea about that if you hadn't done that background check? Absolutely not. Wow. Honestly, you can do that kind of litigation search depending on what county and what state you're in. I did it in less than five minutes and it didn't cost me a penny. Wow. Great information. Unfortunately, Jeff, we are out of time, but I know you were you were just on show 335. Again, I encourage listeners to go back and listen to that where we talked about Jeff really laid out the differences in, in JV or joint venture versus syndication and, and why you should consider a joint venture sometimes versus syndication. So uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. I encourage you to reach out to Jeff. And But before we close it up, tell him again how you like to give back and then tell him how they get in touch with you. Yes. Okay. So first of all, our website is just who you are. Uh, You're all real estate investors if you're listening to this. So it's real estate investor law. So just add a law at the end of who you are, realestateinvestorlaw.com. And if you go to our website, right there on the homepage at the top in the center, you will see several free resources that we have for you. Two that you might be interested in is 17 Steps to a Successful Joint Venture. And the other is a uh, article I wrote, 12 Warning Signs You're Headed for a Lawsuit with Your Partner. So if you download those and take the time to read through them, you will really understand more than 95% of people who haven't read them understand about how to set yourself up for success mitigate the risks of dispute and have a successful joint venture. Awesome. Great, Jeff. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too, so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.